Teacher, what star is that? Welcome to the Bishop Chronicles. Thank you for listening to FarsideTV.com. You are listening to Side Life Radio. And as always, I'm your host, Adisa the Bishop, a.k.a. the Black Dragon on the West Side, a.k.a. the South Bay Shogun, a.k.a. the Iron Hook Assassin, 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 a.k.a. The Dead Sea Saracen out here swashbuckling on y'all in a new era. You heard me? The Bishop Chronicles is the world's first podcast giving you West Coast perspectives on hip-hop, MMA, and health and fitness trends. Remember, nobody out there is lacing your cranium with this here vibranium in that dome, boy, in that dome, like me, Adisa the Bishop. You know what I'm saying? You can be down now, you can bow down later, but understand the West Coast OGs, we gonna stay greater. You heard what I'm saying? But for real, for real, thank you for listening. If this is your first time, if you're brand new, oh, what, somebody just sent this to you? That's your homeboy. Thank him. You know what I'm saying? But if this is your first time listening, understand that this may not be the best thing. About a show enough is the West thing. Ooh. Show enough is the West thing. Ooh. Yeah. So, uh, you know, for real, for real. Thank you for listening. I hope you're having a fantastic day. And I hope this day opens up into a fantastic week for you and yours. You heard me? But I need you to do me a favor. Yo, listen for real. Take a minute, add us on Spotify, iTunes, or Mixcloud, all right? Follow us. And if you're on Mixcloud or if you're on iTunes, leave a comment. That helps us. We need that help. You know what I'm saying? We growing. You know, I want to say like real, real quick, um, we've been growing on the Mixcloud global interview charts, all right? And I'm trying to hit number one. I need your help. We made it to the last episode to number five. We were number one. We dropped down. We've been fighting our way back. We're at number five. Please pass this show on or a past show. Maybe you like the Mac Miller show. Maybe you like the uh, Bruce Lee show. Maybe you like, you know what I'm saying, one of the London episodes. Because the London episode, the first London episode is the one that got us back to number five. I'm trying to get us up to number one. We're going to see what uh, the second uh, show from, from London do. But I thank you sincerely, Mike. Yeah, Mike is thanking you too. He's nodding, you know, thumbs up right there. You know what I'm saying? From a boy, Mike Rum. But um, I appreciate all my listeners, you know, all of you. Please pass this on to one person, just one person. You ain't got to like post it to all your social media and all that. Although I ain't going to be mad if you could throw some up in the stories, you know what I'm saying? Just like, yo, go follow this fool and check out the podcast. It will work. But um. For real, thank you. And as always, you can follow me directly on Instagram at Real Hip Hop Chess. Follow me. I always follow back. If I'm not following you back, let me know and I will follow you back. Now it's time to go straight into heartbeat props. Heartbeat props are where I remind you and myself. Okay, understand a lot of time when I'm talking on here, I'm really just talking to remind myself of what I hope to pull out and be and do for the best of me and what I'm trying to get out here. You know what I'm saying? Um... Heartbeat props is where we thank those around us who are helping us, okay? So I want you to take five minutes today, call three people, don't text them, call them and talk to them for at least five minutes. 
explain to them what they've specifically done to make your week better. All right. This is about gratitude. This is about reminding people of their worth. You know what I'm saying? And so the first person I'm going to do is I'm going to thank Dr. John Muster. He is a physicist and educator in the East Bay, and he has been teaching me a lot about science and empathy. It's been a a powerful um, experience working with him. Uh, I also want to thank my man, Ryan Rich over at Granite Bay Jiu-Jitsu. We had dinner the other day at uh, the Great Wall in Oakland. Great Wall is like a vegetarian Chinese food place. And so even when you get like, you know, uh, chicken fried rice or whatever, it's not real chicken, you know, Mongolian beef. It's not real beef. So good. Good Lord. So yeah, had a great dinner. Ryan Rich was having it, man. It was really good to uh, hang out with you and thank you for coming down and kicking it. Also, uh, one of my OG homies, Jose G, bro, was happening, man. Um, He's one of my old school homies from San Jose, man. And he uh, was in a car wreck. It was really bad, but he survived. And what's really crazy is he crashed and... um, When they found him, his body was outside of the car and someone had taken him out of the car and no one knows who did it. But it's a good reason why he's alive. And I just want to say, Jose, dog, um, I got hella love for you, bro. And I'm grateful for you. And uh, I want to thank whoever took you out of the car. I want to thank them, man. Because I'm hella happy you're still here. That would have really messed me up if I'd have lost you. And we got a lot of good stuff to do this year. So don't forget again to add me on IG at Real Hip Hop Chess. West Coast word of the week is ops. Sometimes somebody might talk to you and be like, oh, so-and-so, he a op. You've been saying, first time I heard that, I feel like it was like 2010. But um, normally when I heard kids say it, they were Bay Area kids and they specifically meant police officers. But there was an interesting thing on Genius.com about the word ops and its usage in hip hop. And really, ops, I guess, comes from Chicago, if I remember what I saw right. And ops is not cops. At least in a lot of their music. Ops means opposition. Anyone that's in opposition to you. So that would be like calling somebody a hater. You know what I'm saying? So... If someone's hating on you, they a op, right? You know what I'm saying? But who knows? They might be a cop too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but anyway, yeah. So now we're going to look at the uh, results from UFC 242. What did I tell you last week? Hmm? What did I tell you last week? Nobody listens to the OG. They do listen. Yo, shout out to the homies at KJ Gans. What up? What up? What up? What up? Mr. Sweet. What up? Brain damage. You know what I mean? Yo, shout out to KJ Gans. Follow my homies. Follow my homies. Let me tell you, most of the stuff that I know about martial arts, for real, for real, comes from the homies at KJ Gans. It also comes from... Like the deeper science comes from Gumby OTM, at Gumby OTM, um, who is the the owner of At Heroes Martial Arts. He is my instructor. And also my good homie and jujitsu mentor for real. He be teaching me a lot about that no-gi, Denny Prokopos, at Denny Prokopos. Those are my homies. So a lot of the stuff that I say when I talk about techniques and this and that and blah, 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 you know what I'm saying? Like it's coming from those sources, you know? Now, to be perfectly honest, I missed the uh, the Carlos Ferreira win. I, I didn't see that. And I also did not see Curtis Blades. So I'm not going to talk about those. I'm not going to talk about those. And I'm sorry um, 
if if anybody's like, oh, but that fight was hella sick, blah, blah. I, I, I missed him, dog. By the way, real shout out to the real homies who send you the underlink so you don't have to pay for these things. You know what I'm saying? I ain't hating on people getting paid. I'm just saying I'm broke right now and I need my free fights and I appreciate those who help me get those. <laughs> and you know who you are. <laughs> yeah. Free UFC. Yo, this is what I'm about. That's what I'm about to y'all. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about what I do remember. I do remember saying that Islam was going to handle business and uh, he really did. That was a great fight. I was impressed with his striking. I was impressed with his strategies on the ground. It was a great fight. But also uh, shout out to Davi Hamos too, because he did really well. That could have gone either way, but Islam was in a good zone and he was very consistent. And so um, congrats to him. Congrats to him. Mad respect to Paul Felder in his decision victory, though, over Edson Barbosa. I thought Barbosa was going to win that. And I'm going to be honest, that was a hard fight to call. Shout out to Balance MMA in Philly, right? Shout out to America for pulling it off over there. That was a great fight. You know, Paul Felder, you know, he, he, he gave a lot. You know what I'm saying? And when you see a fighter cry, that's because, man... He had to dig in. We have no idea what he underwent to um, make that fight happen, go to Abu Dhabi, fight against all odds. You know what I'm saying? I mean, dude, hella proud of Paul Felder. Shout out to Dr. David Timoney, who's over there at Balance, you know what I'm saying? And the whole Balance squad, you know what I'm saying? Because um, cause, cause it was Timoney who hit me. He was like, yo, yo, Paul Felder's a Balance guy. This guy's going to be dope, you know? And uh, you know what I'm saying? Edson Barbosa, you know what I'm saying? He didn't really make any major mistakes. Um, he, he, he just didn't win. And that's what happens when it goes to decision, man. Uh, I, I can't wait to see those guys fight again. I guarantee you they're going to fight again. Now, you know what? Let's just go straight into it. Uh, man, Habib versus Dustin, huh? Habib versus Dustin. Nur Muhammadov. Or Nur Magomedov. How do you... I keep butchering that. Let me tell you. My personal new thing is I'm be trying to say everybody's name right, bro. It takes me a minute. Habib, Nur Nur... It's hard, is what I'm saying. Nur Magomedov. I butcher it. I'm gonna work on this. This is a true thing. I think we all need to work on saying people's names how they like it to be said. Whoever they are, whatever they are. You got to say people's names right. I think in the last episode, I kind of talked about that. Um, but let's talk about the fight. First of all, I really got to say that it's hard to hate on Poirier. You know what I'm saying? He's a good dude. Good dude. Not mad at him. I told you, though, I wanted Habib to win, and he did. And it went the way I pretty much thought it was going to be. Submission in the second round. However, I also knew that Dustin was grimy. He, you know, I mean, this is a guy who basically, you know, uh, came out of the ninth grade and did everything he did to win and, and get paid from his hands, man. You know, and it was a great fight. He almost finished with a guillotine. I couldn't tell if it was an arming guillotine or not, though, to all of my jujitsu people. Was that an arming guillotine? Because I couldn't see Habib's right arm. The thing is, is the escape that I was taught by Half Gracie was not used and I was confused by that. I couldn't tell if it was because 
Habib was defending the choke with his right hand, which would have meant that his right hand would have been on the wrist of, of, of Dustin trying to stop the choke. Okay, uh, and his right, his left hand, which was outside, you put your forearm, you kind of grab the person, you kind of cup the the, uh, the the person doing the choke, you cup their, the ball of their the shoulder socket, you you cup that by the clavicle, and you lean with your forearm into the neck of the opponent, and you kind of like stand up and tripod. They usually let go immediately, man. They usually let go immediately. So I was surprised he didn't do that escape. And, and at one point, I got to be honest, I thought Habib was out for like two seconds. I thought he was out. But he scrambled out and got the finish. And I was really happy, man. I, I, I for real was shedding some tears because you know how I feel about where the Muslims are in the world right now. I was happy to see so many Muslim fighters, so many Dagestan fighters doing well. I think it's good for MMA. I think you're really going to see lots of kids around the world, young Muslim men and young Muslim women taking on MMA. And I think that's going to be good for the Muslim community because we've been taking a lot of L's the last couple of years. Um, you know, and, and I think that a lot of the cultural improvement um, and the societal uh, refinement that is needed inside the Muslim community will come through MMA. You know, I believe in fight philanthropy. You know, I believe in using the martial arts, all martial arts, as a way to enrich children and the, and the immediate community on the ground floor. And I'm so happy that Habib won. I am so happy also that the Muslims there in Abu Dhabi, you know what you didn't see? You didn't see and hear about a lot of hate. You saw Habib give so much respect. Right. People want to talk about how funny they think McGregor is and how great he is for the sport. You know, what's great for the sport. A man to exchange shirts with his opponent, because that's what it means when the Japanese bow and when 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 the Brazilian shake hands, you know, what that comes from. It comes from the bow comes from uh, 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 Jigoro Kano, the founder of judo, thanking your opponent for improving you. You know, I'm tired. I'm so tired of the people inside uh, MMA looking for all of these uh, cornball college boy antics, right? And open disrespect. I know that people got to talk trash. I know that people got to promote the fight. But there's limits, man. And you saw the Muslims respecting all the opponents. Of course they wanted the Muslims to win. But they respected all opponents. And when you see the champions, the Muslim champions honoring their opponent, as a man, as a human being, as a fighter, as whatever they are, that's what's good for this sport. And that's why I wanted Habib to win. Not to say that Dustin wouldn't have had similar character. I'm just saying because obviously Dustin is not like McGregor in the way that he carries himself. But I'm telling you, great match. Now, I told you guys, uh, and we had stopped doing it, that I was going to keep giving you a life lesson from the worksheets in the book, Bobby, Bruce, and the Bronx, available on Amazon right now. Don't sleep. Or you can also get it on Smashwords, okay? Bobby, Bruce, and the Bronx, The Secrets of Hip Hop Chess. And we're talking about life strategies, right? Um, so far, we have gone over, what did we go over? We went over 3PA is greater than 1NT. Right? Three positive actions are greater than one negative thought. We went over the PPC code, planning, patience, and courage, right? You can check those on the on the previous episodes to the London episode, right? Um, and now we're going to look at the chessboard and the open mind. You know, when I talk about chess being a cultural tool, I really mean it. And when I talk about chess being a cultural tool, what I'm really talking about is 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 
for lack of a better word, like what I call like the low level culture, meaning like your personal individual culture, how you interact with other people. Okay. I've spoken to you already on how as much as I love chess, that I feel like a lot of times the people at the top, the grandmasters and, and, and the international masters, like they dictate too much of what we see in the culture. And that like, they are like one percenters dictating what the 99 do. And that is no disrespect, but I'm just saying like most people that play chess, bro, they're not going to be grandmasters. They're not going to be international masters, but they can be enriched by the game and they should be enriched by the game. And that's what I'm going to share with you right now. The chessboard and the open mind. Okay. So here's what it says. And first there is a yin yang symbol in the book. You should look at that. And then there is a chessboard. Okay, and I want you to imagine the yin-yang with the black and white side with the white dot on one side, the, the, the black dot on the other. Okay, and here we go. Uh, the chessboard by itself is a beautiful pattern of opposites. What you are observing is a reconstruction of the ancient Chinese slash Taoist yin and yang symbol. It symbolizes the balance of opposite energy in all existence. When people see this, they often believe that it is the beginning and ending of it all. However, the yin and yang, the two, is rooted in the Tai Chi, which means the great ultimate, which is a singular source. The Tai Chi gave birth to the yin yang which transformed into the four elements, which spawned the eight trigrams. Remember Wu-Tang, the eight diagrams, what you think that's about? Which gave birth to the 64 trigrams. Taoism teaches that all things in life grew from those 64. And there's 64 squares on a chessboard. And there's near infinite, all right, uh, 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 options on the chessboard once you see what potential comes from each move, all right? Pay attention to what the bishop is putting on to you, but but. The chessboard is a philosophical map of that concept. Mathematically, the initial moves in chess give way to near incalculable potential. In the HHCF, we view our own minds with the same potential. The same. On another note, symbolically, let us look at the board again. It rejects no one. It accepts the rich and the poor alike. It invites all races, all cultures, all genders, and faiths to play. Once these pieces are set upon it, there is a feeling of unactualized potential that lie not only in the game, but in each of our own minds and hearts. The chessboard asks that you bring your best ideas and plans to the game. Abandon your fear of losing and dare to learn, it demands. If you bring less than your best, that's okay. You can always come back. You are always welcome at the chessboard of life. Again, that is worksheet four on unity and diversity. So the three questions that I want you to ask yourself are, when you think of unactualized potential, what images pop up in your head? That's question one. When you think of unactualized potential, what images pop up in your head? The second question, has anyone or anything happened to damage your own belief in what you can achieve? Has anyone or anything happen to damage your own belief in what you can achieve? And three, what can you do to overcome those feelings of lost potential and heal the damage? What can you do to overcome those feelings of lost potential and heal the damage? Again, these worksheets are in the book, Bobby Bruce and the Bronx, The Secrets of Hip Hop Chess. You can get it on Amazon or Smash Words, and I encourage you to do that. This book is intended really for people who have anywhere above 
like a fifth grade reading level. So if you can, if you know somebody who needs this book or you think would benefit this book and they have a fifth grade reading level or above, this is the book that they need. And I hope that you get it and enjoy it. I have so many great reviews on my book, man. So, uh, you know, it's not a bestseller, but I know it, it, it works. I know it works for those that, that, that cop it. So I hope you become one of them. Now it is time for what? Come on, man. You know. Am I the Iron Hook Assassin? Am I the South Bay Shogun? It is time for a jujitsu haiku. All right? Somebody hit me up and was like, yo, you didn't do a jujitsu haiku in the last one, bro. What's happening? So guess what? Here we go. Always understand that my jujitsu haikus always come from direct training. So everything that I write in my jujitsu isn't me just sitting around on the deck with my feet up, daydreaming about jujitsu. They're reflections and poems that I make after training. <clears throat> Remember that a jujitsu, that a haiku is a Japanese poem that runs in five syllables, seven syllables, and five syllables. It's three lines. And so um, it is time for that. Mike, as always, I need your environmental audio skills to help enlighten us all in this moment. <clears throat> this one, although the others are just to jujitsu in general, this one has a special dedication. This haiku is dedicated to anyone I have ever trained with through the course of my jujitsu. Whether we're just doing drills to improve our movements or we had a class together, or anybody I ever competed with. This is for you. Reset, go again. Thank you for improving me. Musashi Mind State. And there you have it. So really quick, what have I been listening to? A lot of Bushido beats again. I was listening to a lot of lo-fi. Now I'm swinging back over toward the Bushido beats. Those are those instrumental beats I like to get off YouTube and Spotify and Mixcloud that are uh, like, sometimes they're like boom bap beats and sometimes they're more like trap beats, but they have like Japanese flutes and strings and stuff like that. I don't know, just it, it, it relaxes me and sometimes it hypes me up. Uh, the main one that I've been listening to is a track called Yasuke uh, or Yasuke which is Y-A-S-U-K-E I copped it on Spotify the other day and I think it's made by a guy named Illicit Ace Illicit Ace Yasuke was actual black samurai who there's going to be a movie coming out about him I heard uh, the dude was it Chadwick Boseman is going to play him uh, but he was a real dude uh, what am I watching nothing really you know me I love cartoons been watching a lot of Looney Tunes been watching a lot of Teen Titans Go but really I just re-upped on Netflix and I'm about to watch this uh, Chappelle show because everybody's talking about it I got to watch it just to see what's happening what am I reading Happy to report I'm back to reading regularly again, and I am reading I Will Teach You to Be Rich, the second edition by Ramit Sethi, and it's really good. You know what, man? I'm too old to be this broke, so I'm tightening up. I'm getting my money knowledge right, and I'm moving forward. Now, uh, and I recommend this book. It's easy to understand. I'm somebody who's coming in for real with nothing. And what I mean is that uh, uh, I really have never had any strategies for money, and now it's time to do that. You know what I'm saying? So I'm doing it. Um, wish I did it sooner, but this book is easy to read, easy to understand, and I get it and I dig it. All right. So the health talk, 
uh, in closing is pretty simple. Our guest today is going to be Dr. Peter Goldman. And um, what we're talking about is the emotional roots of physical illness. This is important for everybody. Now, over the last year, I've been turned on to the work of Brene Brown, Gabor Mate, M-A-T-E. Really great. Um, They've both been on um, Russell Brand's podcast, but I got put onto them slightly before they were on those podcasts, you know, because I've been doing my own work, right, on my own healing. And so um, good people put me on to their work, and I'm super thankful for them. And so now I'm turning you on to that work by Brene Brown, who has a great um, a great thing on Netflix that you should watch. Why am I blanking on it? Her, her name is B-R-E-N-E Brown. Um, and they're on, on YouTube, has a great talk on YouTube. She has a great talk on YouTube, and she's written many different books you should jump into. Gabor, G-A-B-O-R, Mate, M-A-T-E, also has amazing books on um, this new greater phase uh, or fad in the West, trend rather, I don't want to say fad, of of looking at the emotional roots of physical illness in the West. Now, you already know, if you are African, Arab, Latino, or Chinese, this ain't new medicine. This ain't new perspectives, okay? Like so many other aspects of health in the West, the West is late again, but better late than never. And it's just important that it gets covered, man. So I have Dr. Peter Goldman, my personal doctor and healer, uh, who is a zone healer. Okay. Um, he, he heals a lot of the top NFL players, ballet dancers, MMA and jujitsu fighters for real. Most of the jujitsu legends in the game, they all know Dr. Pete and they've all been healed by Dr. Pete, Eddie Bravo, Hicks and Gracie, uh, uh, Hegan Machado, Danny Procopos. Come on, man. There's hella people. There's hella people, you know that have been healed by Dr. Goldman. And he studied under a guy named Dr. Thurman Fleet. And I think Fleet was around in the 30s and 40s in Texas. And he wrote extensively about this, but a lot of his insights were ignored tragically by a lot of uh, modern Western medicine. And so Dr. Goldman and I will be covering this topic and I think you will all love it. I hope you look into it. I hope you have a fantastic week and we're gonna jump into this uh, conversation that uh, looks at, the emotional roots of physical illness. I hope it helps and I hope you have a great week. Check it out. Don't forget to go to sfgoldman.com. And if you go to his page, you can also learn if you are a healer and if you deal in uh, different types of homeopathic uh, medicine, or if you're, you know, a clinical doctor at a hospital right now, you can learn from Dr. Pete directly. And I hope that you do. So check him out. Peace to the planet Earth. You know what it is, man. Adisa Banjoko, the man is so loco. It's the Bishop of Hip Hop chilling with you. And I am hanging out with my man, Dr. Peter Goldman. Now, you know we had him on just a few months back, but Pete and I talk all the time. Like, I got to give you a full disclosure on this. Like, like is Pete my doctor? Is he like my number one healer and all that? Of course. But I already told you, one, this dude knows a lot about old school New York hip hop culture and stuff like that. And we have all these like crazy conversations about lyrics and whose beats were better and, you know, who won battles and stuff like that. Um, But we also talk about martial arts all the time. You know what I mean? Like all the time. Um, And so, you know, there's also 
just healing stuff that we talk about. So I'm not really going to treat this conversation any different than I would any of our, our phone conversations and things like that. But because this is Bishop Chronicles, you know, Dr. Pete, welcome back to Bishop Chronicles. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to be here. Now, one of the things that Dr. Pete does is he hosts these free talks on Tuesday evenings at his office, which are an, an extension of, of, of his healing practice. Can you talk about like what made you start doing it and, and exactly what's happening there? Because I've been going and I've been enjoying myself. Well, a few things. So when someone has a physical problem, they might have a digestive problem or they might have an immune system problem or they might have a neck pain or they might have a reproductive organ problem or whatever. When they go to the practitioner they're going to, they might get acupuncture needles put into them. Mm -hmm. They might get a chiropractic adjustment administered to them. They might take medicine. Mm -hmm. They might uh, take an herb. They might get a massage, et cetera, et cetera. What those things are doing is addressing the physical manifestation of the issue. So uh, maybe if someone has a digestive problem, let's say, let's take digestive problem right. as just a simple example. Because we can understand yeah. it, yeah. This person has acid reflux or heartburn mm -hmm. or whatever. Okay. Um, if they go to an acupuncturist, the acupuncturist may put needles in their body mm -hmm. to open up what's called meridians. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in right, acupuncture. Right, right. I know a little bit. To open up meridians that um, hopefully will make that person's digestion function properly. If they go to a good chiropractor, the chiropractor may adjust bones to open up nerve flow to different digestive organs so their digestive organs can heal and their digestion can be great and et cetera, et cetera. The thing is, these are all fixing or addressing the physical aspect of the problem, the physical manifestation. Mm -hmm. The question is, what caused the digestive problems? Why mm -hmm. did they get digestive problems to begin with? Mm -hmm. Now, if you ask, you know, nine out of 10 people or whatever the stat is, they might say, oh, well, maybe their diet is poor. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's genetic. You know, mm -hmm. maybe like everyone in the family had bad digestion. Mm -hmm. They just inherited those bad digestive organs or they have a poor diet. Well, I've been doing what I do for a long time and um, the results are pretty amazing. So I think I'm speaking from a, a point of, uh, you know, someone professional who, experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, beyond professional experience, a lot of people have professional experience, but, uh, when you, you know, when you have the results, like we get in our office, you can, you know, speak with a lot of confidence on these topics. So I'm going to tell you in my opinion, and you know, since you're, you're asking for my opinion, I'm going to tell you from my, from my opinion that, um, 90, Five plus percent, 95 plus percent of what unbalances the body mm. starts on an emotional level. Mm. Meaning, of course, you have, you know, the person who's like, damn, I just, I was at a restaurant last night and it was whack food and I got food poisoning. Right, right. I mean, that's, that's like understandable. Five percent. Like, and yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Or someone, I don't know, gets like punched in the stomach like really hard. Like mm -hmm. they're doing some kind of martial art or right, whatever. Right. I could see how that trauma right. of the hard right. strike to their stomach could right. affect their digestion, maybe if they're not right. trained for that. Or um, if someone, uh, you know, gets food poisoning or whatever. But I'm going to tell you that 95% of what messes up people's digestion or anything in their body mm -hmm. starts on an emotional level. Now, we can have that conversation more in depth or separately or whatever. But taking that as a premise, if you right. can trust me on that. I do. The question is, when they come to, let's say, me and I do my zone technique to um, get their digestion healthy, that's one part of it. That's that's just addressing that's just addressing the physical part of the equation. Right. However, 
because the actual unbalance in their body was caused by something emotional, that has to be addressed somehow. Now, here's the interesting point. When people usually address the emotional thing, it can be done with psychology, psychiatry, talk therapy, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not saying none of that stuff is not valuable because I'm all about results and whatever helps people, I'm down with. So if someone's like, man, I was super depressed and I went to a psychologist and now I'm happy. Hey, awesome. what am I going to, you know, what am I going to say? It's not good. We like that. Okay. However, um, I think if you look at the track record of Western psychology, it ain't great. Now, if, like I said, if someone's suicidal right. and then they go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and then they are not suicidal, hey, I'm all for results, right? right. But talk therapy, Could. you know, it, it's, right. all, it's all right. It's got its place. Okay, all right, all right. Now, With that said, so the question is, what are the other ways to address this metaphysical component? When I say metaphysical, I mean beyond the physical and emotions are beyond the physical. Well, there's affirmations, there's prayer, Mm -hmm. there's reading spiritual books, there's Mm -hmm. reading metaphysical books, Mm -hmm. there's new age stuff. Meditation. Meditation, there's uh, going to a Zen center, yoga, there's, okay. And and that's great. Like I said, whatever, whatever works for you. What I found is the following, this is important. When you study certain topics that you normally don't think about, for lack of a better word, it vibrates It vibrates certain parts of your brain, which are not like usually vibrated. Right. And when you think on certain topics, just the thinking on those topics creates a healing. Mm. It doesn't mean you have to come to a conclusion about those topics. It doesn't mean you have to believe what the practitioner or doctor or author is saying. It's just the thinking about those topics that creates a healing. So, for example, let me give you an example. Let's just say, I'll just give a simple example. Let's just say, um, yeah, let's just say we were talking about free will. Mm-hmm. It's a conversation. Free will, right. whatever. I'm not saying I have the answer. I don't, whatever. but it's just a conversation. Mm-hmm. So let's just say one aspect of the conversation. Someone said, well, God is all powerful, so therefore... Nothing happens unless God wills it to happen. It's in most Western religion Bibles say that. So God's all powerful. However, there's this idea, whether it's true or false, like I said, I don't know. There's this idea that God will suspend its power for the moment to give you free will. So that's a, that's a thought, right? Now, so for example, if I snap my fingers twice... The question is, well, is that just like God suspending its power for the moment to give Pete free will to decide to snap his fingers twice? Or do you say, no, it says in the Bible, God's all powerful. Nothing happens unless God wills it. There's even a sentence in the Bible like um, not even not even a sparrow can fall from a tree unless Mm. God wills it. And, you know, the hairs on your head are numbered. So the question is. If that's really true, if God's all-powerful, well, this double snap was willed by God. Now, that, now then we get into, not me and you, but right. people Just get into a debate. The debate or the discussion is, wait, is it that God's all-powerful and everything happens according to God's will, including Pete snapping his fingers twice? Or are we saying, no, God's all-powerful, but God steps back and gives Pete free will to do that? Now, again, I don't know the answer, mm. but even having this type of discussion— even if you don't even make any conclusion about it, it is vibrating parts of your brain that normally are not vibrated. And that thinking on and contemplating these topics has a healing effect on one 
physically, mentally, and spiritually. It's kind of a longer conversation. I'm just kind of summarizing. Mm -hmm. So coming full circle, why do I have my Tuesday night group? Mm -hmm. Every Tuesday night at my office, 7.30, 8.30, I have a free of charge metaphysical study group. I started the group in 1995. It's been going weekly since 1995. And I have found that when people come to me with, we're just going to keep using digestion because whatever, they have this digestive problem. They're coming for their zone technique sessions with me to make their digestion perfect. That's the physical aspect. Right. But when they come on Tuesday night just to kind of be in the group and mm -hmm. kind of just like experience that mm -hmm. hour there, mm -hmm. that is a huge, huge part of the healing because they're getting to think on these topics. And by the way, even though you're spending an hour there on a Tuesday night, when you go home, when you sleep, your subconscious mind is most likely working some stuff Still out. Carrying so it. that's some good stuff. Give an example of, let's say, this week's lesson. What, what, what did you guys cover this week? Because I missed it. Okay, interesting. So right now, I, I, so I'll put it like this. We do different books. In the, we, we basically will take a metaphysical book and we will have like a designated reader, as you know, because you've right. been there. And we'll have like the designated reader read a paragraph and we'll kind of pause and discuss, right? right? So pause and discuss. And then, you know, we'll, we'll give our thoughts and just Share like I said. Group, what, what, what your interpretation is. Like I said, just, just being there, just being there is a very healing experience. Now, one of the main authors we study is a guy named Dr. Thurman Fleet. And if anyone wants to check it out, drthurmanfleet.com, D-R-T-U, excuse me, D-R-T-H-U-R-M-A-N-F-L-E-E-T.com, drthurmanfleet.com. Dr. Fleet was one of the greatest healers of the last thousand years. He, anyway, it's a long, uh, you, have to, you have to check out his website. Right. The website about Go look him. up Dr. Fleet and at least look up Rays of the Dawn. Yeah. And uh, he wrote many books. One of them was called Rays of the Dawn. That's one of the books we study quite a bit. He wrote another book called Evolution of the Soul. And by the way, we, we read other authors in right. the Tuesday group. Right. Gurdjieff, Nisargadatta, um, and many others. But anyway, Ospensky, uh, Koichi Tohei, Richard Hittleman, a lot of good stuff. Now, um, back to Dr. Fleet, there's a book called Evolution of the Soul, which we're in the middle of reading right now. And... Um, it's funny we were just talking about that because the thing about God being all powerful because right. the part of the book we're up to, we're at a very deep part of the book. This book is a symbolic evolution of a soul from like mm -hmm. the pit of ignorance to mm -hmm. like to the highest. The highest. And, and we're getting pretty deep in the book, so it's right. pretty high. And um, the part of the book that we covered um, yesterday, Tuesday, was the idea of oneness. Mm. And it's very interesting because if you believe that all there is is God, if you believe that, and this is not about religion, right, it doesn't right, matter just, what religion anyone mm. is, but if you believe all there is is God, then there's really no you or me. There's right. no you, there's no me, there's no anyone. If, 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 it's really, if there's really only one thing and that one thing's God, the whole notion of you, me, and separation and the many is not. So we, that's actually what he talked about. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the mind. It, this stuff is what I would call beyond the mind because the mind has a hard time processing, wrapping itself right. around that. There's a, actually a sentence in the Bible which says the finite mind, the finite human mind cannot comprehend the infinite. I hope I'm quoting it right. So there's something beyond the mind that may understand this, realize this, mm. already know this, remind mm. yourself of this. Mm. But... It's hard for the mind to be like, really? All there is is God? There's no right. you? There's no me? That's The mind is not equipped for those kind of equations. But anyway, so we did That's talk about that. Do. 
No, that's 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 powerful stuff. And I have to say, you know, I, I've gone and I've had a great time and learned a lot of cool things. And I think it's deep, you know, when, when, when you talk about the emotional roots of, of, of physical illness, you know, I'm noticing uh, more, more conversations on that. And I, and I think that it's pretty awesome. There's one guy that I've been turned on to recently. His name is Gabor Mate. Um, and uh, I was turned on to him by a really good friend. And, you know, he speaks extensively about this kind of thing. I think that for... Um, Individuals and healers and families, you know, uh, especially in the West, right? America, Europe, etc. This idea uh, is and feels new. Right? That's how I feel. I could be wrong. I think that for a lot of people, I just mean average people on the train, you know, whatever. They they, they think that they're sick because, like you said, of some type of direct thing. They don't think about uh, it as an, as an emotional thing. So, like, um, so I add one quick thing before we switch gears. Mm-hmm. That anyone is interested in attending my group virtually. We have a Facebook group that broadcasts them live and you can watch them after their broadcast. And just look up on Facebook the group called Metaphysical Understanding, hosted by Dr. Peter Goldman. Metaphysical Understanding, hosted by Dr. Peter Goldman. You just like look that up and ask to join and we'll add you and then you can watch it live on Tuesdays, 7.30 to 8.30 Pacific or you can you can Check watch it after. after. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Um, talk to me about what are what has been your experience and the consistency maybe in the kinds of emotional trauma that you tend to recognize cause specific kinds of, of illnesses? For you? I'll give you a two-part answer. Mm-hmm. Part one of the answer is it's overall, I wouldn't say it's just like this means this, this means this, right. this means this, but there are tendencies I've noticed. Mm-hmm. So these are not like hard, fast rules. Like mm-hmm. if I say that, if I say that anger is associated with digestion, it does not mean that everyone with a digestive problem is angry. And it doesn't matter, mean that everyone who's angry gets a digestive problem. So right. just say, these are things I notice at times. Mm-hmm. These are not like hard, fast yeah. rules. Yeah. Now that I've said that, glandular problems are often due to a suppression of creative expression, meaning everyone likes to express themselves. Mm-hmm. And there's some people that just don't get to. Mm-hmm. And you ask them, when, you know, when, I, when I see their glands are not working, and I have a way to do that with the zone technique, but I might say to them, hey, are you getting good, like, creative outlet? They're like, no, nah. I'm like, well, what do you, what you used to like to do when you did? Like, oh, I used to love to paint. I never paint anymore. I'm like, well, go to the art supply store and get a freaking easel and get some paint and just paint, you know, mm-hmm. like 10 minutes a night. And then mm-hmm. th- I don't care if you throw it out mm-hmm. when you're done, just let it flow out of you mm-hmm. or write poetry or write music or right. build something. Right. Now, a lot of people, right. A lot of people don't understand what creative means because sometimes I'll say to a patient, I'm like, hey, are you getting a good creative outlet? They're like, yeah, I love to go hiking. I'm like, hey, I'm glad you like to go hiking. It's super good for you, and I know it's super fun, and I want you to keep doing it, but it's not creative. Creative means to create something, mm-hmm. like we talked about, like mm-hmm. painting, painting, or et cetera, music, right, right, you know, right, right, right. writing a poem right, or whatever. Right, right. You know, okay. All right. Now, next one, switching gears. When the nervous system is off, nervous system, it's usually excessive worry or jealousy. Again, mm-hmm. not always, right, right. not always, but. That's, yeah. but I've seen that many a time. Okay. The digestive system usually has something to do with anger. Um, some have said disgust, like right. feeling disgust, but okay. The muscle system, when the muscles are real tense, usually the first the person feels overwhelmed or overloaded just by mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
the circulatory system sometimes I've seen get off when the person feels like something or someone is not letting them do what they want to do. Interesting. But again, not always. These are not rules. Not these, are, these are just things you've, you've, you've noticed right. over time. And actually, the, the godmother of this was Louise Hay, for those mm. who know Louise Hay. Louise Hay was very popular, I guess, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, I hope I have the dates right, when, right. when she was at her peak, but, you know, um, and after that. Um, and she was writing books, like, in the 70s about, like, this emotion, mm. this part of the body. This, and actually, when she was alive, she was actually my patient. Wow. So I knew her. That's deep. That's deep. Now we're going to transition into a little MMA talks right now. Um, what was the last UFC you saw that you remember the fights from? The last UFC I saw? Um, I think it was the recent one. I saw like I saw Askren get like demolished yeah. by Jorge. What did you think about that? I think that uh, it's interesting because I heard the... Uh, I heard the... Um, I heard the interview, the interview after uh, the fight with Jorge, and um, he basically said that he was ready to just torture, mm-hmm. you know, Aspirin the whole time, and he might have been able to. So mm-hmm. um, it's kind of obvious when you have a pretty good striker like Jorge, who you know obviously can throw a knee, and you have a guy like Aspirin who's obviously going to shoot sooner or later, mm-hmm. probably sooner. Mm-hmm. You know, for him to get kneed in the head and KO'd. Not shocking, but Jorge said that they were like practicing that a lot. Like at the end of practice, they'd always do like a flying knee with a pads with his coach. Right. So it's not totally shocking. Man, um, that was awesome. Yeah, so I, awesome. I did. I did see that. Now, as a, as a Kyokushin black belt fighter, competitor, champion, um, where do you see karate being used in the UFC? Well, These couple. Days. Do you see? Do you see, effectively? Couple things. First of all, karate and Kyokushin are almost apples and oranges because right. Kyokushin is a part of it's under the umbrella of karate. I understand, but there's so much karate out there that's so embarrassingly ineffective. No, I'm not saying that people who do like, let's say someone does a kind of karate and it's like they do it to like get in shape or mm-hmm. make friends or like be healthy. Like I, I'm all for no it. Problems. But there's such a high percentage of karates out there that just don't work for any real practical self-defense at all. Right. Now, Kyokushin is, is not, not in that category. <laughs> that's, a, that's a brutal anyone. Just just Google Kyokushin. Yeah, put Kyokushin highlights yeah, yeah. and you will be shocked, yeah. my friend. K-Y-O-K-U-S-H-I-N, I think is, you know, I do yeah, it. I think that's Kyokushin, it. sounds like I spelled it right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, First of all, George St. Pierre is a Kyokushin black belt. Boss Rutten is a Kyokushin black belt. And, you know, you saw what they did with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it, man. I I was I had a unique situation when I was 16 years old in New York City, where I'm from. I started training with uh, Soshu Shigeru Oyama, who was considered the top student of Masoyama, the founder, you know, ever. So many say the greatest Kyokushin fighter ever, or certainly mm-hmm. one of the, probably the greatest Kyokushin master ever. Mm-hmm. And I just was with him you know, two hours a day, six days a week for several years and yeah. training on his elite fight team and fighting around the world with him. And um, I love Kyokushin. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. No, love that's it. a beautiful art. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an impactful art. Now, tell me where you see karate being used. Is there anybody these days that's that's doing it? Because I mean, like, I I'm feel not, like, the, you know, uh, Machida was, you know, but he, was he a Kyokushin guy? Here's the interesting not? thing. I'm 
you know, I'm not up on everyone is doing or not doing karate, but I right. think Mashida was interesting because Mashida is a Shotokan guy and he was obviously great. Right. Um, and I'm not, I don't want people who are like black belts in Shotokan to get like all pissed off. Hey, if you're a black belt in Shotokan, if you're a black belt in Shotokan and you're great, good for you. I got right. nothing else to say. I'm happy for you. Right. Uh, Mashida was great. Right. I'm just saying like, most of the Shotokan I've seen or interacted with, again, it's a beautiful mm. art. It's just mm. not in the category of a Kyokushin for real fighting. And You're I not think, finding it and as I think, effective for, uh, for... And I think anyone would admit that, even if they're a uh, Shotokan superstar. Right, right. Um, and there's exceptions to every rule. So if you're listening, you're an exception, I'm happy for you. But anyway... Um, so Mashida was an exception. Maybe because right. his dad was doing it yeah. super realistic or yeah. whatever. So that's that. Um, then you get like Wonder Boy Thompson, and I'm not sure he looks almost like a, like a Taekwondo back. Mm-hmm. I never looked it up, but he almost mm-hmm. looks like a Taekwondo kind of fighter, mm-hmm. and he somehow has pulled it off. But I guess it's not Taekwondo because he calls it karate. Mm-hmm. It was kind of funny when he fought. Um, I think it was uh, Jake Ellenberger. Mm-hmm. Was it Jake Ellenberger? It was Jake Ellenberger, or it might have been. Um, it might have been. Uh, I forgot. But anyway, right. they were just like interviewing before and Ellenberger, if it was him, he was just like, oh, I'm not worried about karate. And then he just got like tuned Bonk. up and just like, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so it's good. And uh, I know Vitor Belfort studied a lot with some karate master and, and and used it a lot with like spinning. I think he knocked out Luke Rockhold with a spinning back kick. Interesting. Um, um, but anyway, so uh, that's uh, that's uh, karate, some of the karate stuff. Again, I'm not up on everyone doing it, right? right. But like, even like, I'm thinking back in the day, like I Sean Tompkins, um, rest in peace. I think he passed away, Thank but you, yeah. he uh, he had like um, a really good fighter. His name is escaping me. Like they're in Canada, mm-hmm. so I'm like really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had like a really great left hook to the liver. But like they have like the kind of Kyokushin like style too. So I don't know if that was their exact lineage, yeah. but I can kind of see it. Now here's an interesting fact. Look at K1. K1 started in 1993. All the great original K1 fighters. Um, Peter Aritz, Rob Kamen. Rob Kamen. Um, who's one of my very close friends, Rob Kamen. Uh, Peter Aritz, um, Ernesto Hoost. Ernesto. Um, you know, Remy. All these all these Dutch superstars who were, uh, and Lucia Riker. Who's really one dropping of, people. Lucia Riker, one of my very good friends. Yep. Um, you know, like, um, really the greatest kickboxers on the planet were these K1 guys and they came out of uh, three main gyms in Holland. We'll say two main gyms. I'm going right. to leave one out for the moment, but Majero Gym right. and Voss Gym. Right. And both those guys were Kyokushin black belts who just right. like opened up kickboxing gyms. And just, so yeah. whenever, when people are talking about like the Dutch style kickboxing, that's like right off the Kyokushin tree. Mm. So, Interesting. Um, I had no idea that yeah, was yeah, the case. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, Johan Vass, the founder of Vass Gym, mm. was Lucia Riker's coach and Ernesto mm. Hoos. He was the Kyokushin black belt. And um, Jan Plas, who was the founder of, well, was the head, he didn't really found Majero, but he was, he was like the head guy there. He was a Kyokushin black belt. What do you, what do you attribute uh, in the spectrum of karate? What do you uh, attribute the effectiveness of Kyokushin um, above, above other forms of karate and just in, 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 as, a, as a striking art in general? Well, the thing is this, Masoyama, the founder of Kyokushin, used to say, without, uh, fighting, without real fighting, there's no proof. So he, it was all full contact. Like 
the old Kyokushin Dojo, like the Masoyama Dojo, it was MMA. I mean, they didn't have, first of all, it was no gloves. They, right. they used to wrap their hands in gauze. Right. There was almost no rules. They were all, you know, the problem was they were punched in the face with these bare fists. They were all getting infected hands. Right, and cuts. You know, right. um, from people, punching people in the teeth and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, they would go to the ground. Groin kicks were allowed. Um, it was rough, rough stuff um, when, when Kyokushin, the founding, founding original right. dojo. Um, and uh, in 1962, I believe, um, I mean, this story is a fact that the year is when I'm not totally sure, sure on, but I think it was 19, I'm almost sure it was 1962. Um, Lupini Stadium challenged Japan, like Thai boxing, we Thai was like, we challenged Japan. And right. like all the karate schools were like just putting, putting their head down. And Masuyama was like, we'll fight you. Now, Lumpini Stadium said, look, we're going to get three different champs at three different weight classes mm-hmm. in Thai boxing. Mm-hmm. And you're going to come to Lumpini Stadium. You can send three Kyokushin guys. We're going to fight in Thai rules, you know, elbows, everything, right. knees, clinch. And, you know, we sent three guys and we won two out of three by KO. Yeah. So I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying Kyokushin is better than we Thai. I mean, Thai boxing is amazing, but you could, you could mention it in the same breath. Right. Pretty easily. I told you what happened in 62. Um, Anyway, so. But again, just to be clear, just to be clear, I'm, you know, Adisa just asked me questions about Kyokushin and I'm just saying it's great. But, you know, Thai boxing is amazing. You know, Shotokan's great. These, all these things are great, but he's asking me about Kyokushin. So I'm doing my best to answer it. But I'm not trying, I'm not trying to disparage any other art or say what's better than whatever. And obviously Muay Thai is amazing and all that. It's funny that you said, repeat that quote from Masoyama, please. He said, uh, he said, um, without fighting, there's no proof. And then he said, without proof, there's no trust. It's like a whole quote. Mm-hmm. You can look it up, you know. It's just interesting because, um, you know, as as a lot of my listeners know, I'm a big fan of stoicism, right? And um, I, I had come across a quote this week that reminded me of of... of my own training in jujitsu and just martial arts period and it, and it, and it parallels it. And it said it's by Seneca. And he said, untested power is untrustworthy. That, well, that's Masayama. Had a Isn't that it? Yeah, I yeah, mean, that, yeah. that, that's like, that's, that blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. just turned my phone yeah, on yeah, to make yeah. sure I, I, I yeah, said yeah, it right. Yeah. You know, untested power is untrustworthy. Yeah, yeah. And that made me say, man, you know what? You can never stay off the mat. I mean, like if, if, if you want to know, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. If you want well, to know. Well, it's like, like, you know, it's funny. That's why, for example, if you have like a Democrat arguing with a Republican, it's a debate. Right. It's like there's no way to end it or have proof or like win or convince the person. Like if someone's like, I love Trump and someone's like, I hate Trump. And then they argue for an hour and a half. They're probably going to walk away believing what they believe to begin <laughs> with. <showed> up. <laughs> and even even if it was a friendly argument. Right. But. If you if you have someone who's like I do this type of fighting, other person's like I do this type of fighting, and they're arguing about which is better, it's pretty easy. Just go in the ring and fight. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. We'll find out pretty quickly what's up. So, man, it's beautiful. I love this conversation. So now, speaking of, of battles, let's Uh-oh. talk about. You're segueing. Yeah, we gotta talk about hip hop, man. Now. We're going to start with a classic argument that I just will never stop championing here. And I think you know exactly where I'm headed. And then, you know, the conversation can go wherever it goes. The conversation is how much better East Coast rap is than West Coast. Just kidding. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. We'll Come on, say, man. Okay, Come right, on, okay, man. Okay, okay, all right, okay, yeah. Now, I got love for the East. You know what I'm saying? I'm not hating. I'm not hating. Okay. 
Um, we're going to start with the East Coast battle, and we've had this conversation before, but I'm never going to stop talking about it, and that is the devastating, lyrical, and production beatdown that LL Cool J gave one Cool Modi. Is it production and lyrical or just production? It's both, my friend. Okay, so this is what we're going to start with Jack the Ripper against anything Modi has ever put out. Jack the Ripper is hard to beat. Um, it's funny because Rocky, which is like kind of old and has like the most embarrassing beat, those are really good lyrics. Yeah, yeah. if you just like read the lyrics, yeah. just, just read them. They're they're pretty amazing. But yeah, Kumo Modi, um, a rap pioneer. I love his attitude. I love his lyrics. I like, I like his code? demeanor. You like the the, the shades. I'm not going to say like or dislike. He it's loves a style. It's a style. Um, but but I just want to say like um, he just had horrible production, but I think he's an underrated rapper. And LL, I think he has good lyrics and I like a lot of his stuff. His voice is kind of weird, but you have told me in previous conversations that like that's just part of his thing, his voice. So. I think that was an evolution of the lyrical style of the time. Oh, yeah, that, exactly. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, cause you know, like, like, if you really listen, you know, like DMC, like if you hear him talk, his voice is all kind of jacked when mm -hmm. he talks these days because mm -hmm. he was super yelling and making his voice that way and it injured his vocal cords. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Which is interesting. And so when I listen to, when I listen to Cool J, like you can hear that that was kind of like his take on the yelling style. I, th I think it's a, I think it's a great analysis. I just think DMC pulled off his yelling in a non-annoying way. And, he did. And, and I feel like LL had a few verses that were just, I mean, I'm not taking away from his greatness, but I feel like um, it almost made it sound like his voice wasn't that professional mm -hmm. in a few places. Mm -hmm. And to quote Kumo D, he said, no screaming or yelling. I got a real voice. So mm. he did say that. He did say that. He did say that. Um, moving on. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about other artists that. I think are really dope and still don't get enough props, even if they're legends. Okay. okay. Give me one. Give me one of you. Who do EPMD. you think? I was going to say EPMD. EPMD. Here's the deal. EPMD. The thing about EPMD, no one's going to be like, oh, I don't like them. So they don't get like, you know, they don't get like this. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, like, right, right, like, right. Like in other words, like everyone likes them and no one's going to say like they're overrated yeah. or, you know, like, but if someone's like, can you name the best three rappers ever? And mm -hmm. someone's like, I don't know, Rakim and, you know, Chuck D or whatever they right, right, say. Right you don't just hear people just rolling off their tongue EPMD. That's true. But I would say they possibly are in the top, well, top 10 for sure. For sure. They might and, be in the top five. Right, I'm saying maybe the top five. So that's why I call them underrated. Um, their lyrics are amazing. Yeah. Their voices are smooth. They were very calm from the get-go. A lot of rappers in their first and album. They were debuted. They were pioneers right. of that style. Right. In many respects. Yep. A lot of rappers, when they come out with their first album, are a little frantic and rushed and trying to prove themselves. They were like, they came out of the gate like veterans. So They did. So, I was listening to It's My Thing this morning. Amazing. Yo, man. Amazing. EPMD's It's My Thing is so dope. And it's so ahead of its time, even for production, because for my Bay Area people, for my Bay Area people, the beat from It's My Thing is the same beat that, uh, oh my God, that Drew Down used for Pimp of the Year. So, so I, I, yeah, totally. And I want to say that I think uh, Eric Sturman was a little more famous and known than Paris Smith when they got together. Mm -hmm. But I always was impressed how Paris Smith, you know, P mm -hmm, of EPMD, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was always so calm he and confident. Dope. You know, like he wasn't kind of like, 
well, you know, I'm kind of trying to prove myself because Eric Sermon already has yeah, a name. Yeah, yeah. Like he was just like, I'm amazing. He was dope. And w- without without seeming to have competition, competition within the group. Yeah. It was, he was just calm, well a, good, a good teammate, yeah. calm, yeah. great voice, great lyrics, powerful. Man, awesome. Now, were you, were you a fan of Mantronics? Or that thing. style of hip hop. I was familiar with them. I think I owned like a record of yeah, theirs, yeah, yeah. but I was not just kind of, I just, I just bought it to be like up on the I got it. stuff. Right, but, right. I, but I, you, you know, no. you weren't necessarily like yeah. a fan. Yeah. yeah. I was a big Mantronics fan. I loved the, the, the production of Mantronics and even the rapper, like, you know, there's like fresh is the word and needle to the groove. Um, and get stupid fresh, I think it's called. Really dope beats, man. I feel like Mantronics was totally ahead of his time in terms of production. And I feel like a lot of what he was doing with bass led to a lot of styles of production in hip hop, including hyphy and including crunk. Like I really, I really believe that. The interesting thing is like the rapper MCT, like at the time he sounded fresh, but like over the years, I don't want to say that his lyrics didn't stand up, but you don't reflect on them as when you listen to Mantronics you always listen to it more for the beats than the rhymes even though the rhymes are not trash what do you think about another thing we've discussed before I mean I know I know you're the host you should, you should be bringing up topics <laughs> but um I just want to ask about you brought up DMC we've discussed before not in a big argument because right, we, right. we both like run we right. both like DMC so right. it's not like we're gonna have a big argument right. about it but you like DMC more I like run more I mean, do you like DMC like way more or you just like he edges them or by the way, when Kumo D, who I know you're not, you know, whatever, well, I don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Cause every time I'm like, I, I'll be like, Adisa Kumo D, who I know you're not a huge fan of, you're like, no, I'm a huge fan of him. They're just saying LL's better. So I just wanna, I don't even wanna like preface it in a mistaken fashion. But let me just say that Kumo D, when he made his like 50 best rapper, right, you know, right, list, right, right. like, he put Run on, I forgot, I don't remember where Run was like number like 25 okay. out of 50, but DMC was not even on it. DMC and, was not on the right, list? Right, and, and I, and there, there may be a personal beef I'm not aware of, and maybe, right. maybe that's, you know, right. but I, I don't think there is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, say what you want about Kumadi, but he is a pioneer. He does he, understand he's stuff. He's got mad knowledge. Right. He was there, and he so, did, so he, he did he, major control. And by the way, I already said what I said about Run being better than DMC before I heard that about right, Kumadi. Right, right, it had right. no influence, but why do you think Kumadi didn't even put him on the list? That's is a really good question. Is there question. something that you know, not know, is there something that you hear in, in DMC, in DMC, that makes him better than most people are realizing. That's that's a really deep question. I think that Run always had more energy. Definitely, like, like he was definitely more of a crowd rocking. You know what I'm saying? How y'all feel out yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like you know he he gonna get that he gonna get that he gonna get that crowd going. You know, Run's house. You know what I'm saying? Um, I always felt though personally that DMC. Talked less about himself in a braggadocious way. Like while Run came through with like like a freight train, you know what I'm saying? I felt like um DMC, even though he even though this wasn't the style at the time, like he would find a way to rap about like his family and all this other stuff, like, man is my mama and runs my pal. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, son of Byford, brother yeah. of Al. Like you, he would, you know what I'm saying? Um, they like that part of the, you know, on that album. Yeah. That son of Byford little yeah, part. Yeah. That's part of one of the tracks. And then it's like they just put that on separately. Yeah, you know yeah, exactly. So he, he loved that verse. You know what I'm saying? And so like he so he he has these little, you know, um, 
I went to St. John's University. You know what I'm saying? Like he would throw these little things in where you kind of got a sense of who he was, not just that he was a dope rapper. Mm -hmm. I also, I just want to say, I don't know if this ties in and I don't want to piss any Run fans off because I already like Run. I already already pissed off enough Shotokan practitioners. Um, But I, man, I could be way off. Correct me if I'm wrong. I just always got the feeling, and I, I don't know a delicate way to say this, yeah. that Run wasn't like the brightest dude. That's my. That's what I got. He seemed to be a phenomenal rapper and have all the ingredients to be a phenomenal rapper. Right. His lyrics weren't incredibly meaningful, right. so it didn't require like a super smart dude to write them. <laughs> right. But when I see him interviewed, I'm like, this guy is just like not that sharp. Now. Then he like later became like a reverend and right. wrote and a book, like, yeah, wrote, a, like, wrote a book of like wisdom. Like this is good wisdom. Yeah, and like so, a mega church I, I, runner. Right. And so I was like, yeah. I was like, did I just misinterpret it, or maybe someone wrote a? Maybe he was just sticking to his lane lyrically. That might have been it. You know what I mean? Like, like he could have done some old rock him stuff, but was like, nah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, this is a true story. But can I just, I just want to add ahead, one thing ahead. before we get that about the uh, one thing. Uh, about about Kumo D's list, which cracks me up. You'll like this. You're, yeah. you're gonna like this story. Go. So Kumo D on his list, he had categories. It was like, um, you know, I forgot what they were, but like, you know, voice, mm. uh, lyrical ability. Right. And one of the one of the things on his list was sticking to themes. Interesting. Now I don't even know what that means, by the way. Right. right, right. But. Sticking, Sticking to the themes. themes. Whatever Kumo D meant. Right. So he'd be like, you know, so-and-so gets an A in voice, a B in lyrics, a B minus in sticking to themes, whatever. Right. So the Beastie Boys, he dissed the hell out of those guys. He gave them like a D or an F on everything. He's like horrible lyrics, horrible voice, horrible this. Horrible. Man, that's crazy because I the, love them on all the above. Yeah, but he gave the Beastie Boys an A on sticking to themes. Interesting. Now, now. The thing that just cracks me up to no end. A few years later, the Beasties came out with, you know, one of their albums. Right. And Mike D, I think it's Mike D, right, right. is doing some like, you know, some He's doing lyrics, verse. right? And in it, I love you gotta love them. They took the high road because they could have been like, hey, Kumo D, you're like retired and living in Florida, and like we're like fucking multi multi millions. We're, we're, we're icons that right. will never be forgotten right. we're, in the we're, game. We're, we're in the rap hall, the, we're in the music hall of yeah, the yeah, Rock and Roll yeah, Hall yeah, of Fame. Rock and Roll of Fame. But it, instead of, you know, saying that and saying like, how could you, he, Mike D's like so-and-so, 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 and he goes, we got an A from Mo D for sticking two themes. Like, <laughs> he was like saying like, at least Mo D gave yeah. us an A yeah, for an a sticking two themes. So <laughs> they took the high road. So I That's like hella that. funny. That's hella funny. Yeah, you know, um, all right, so now I want to just talk about old school hip hop production, which is a big deal to me. I love old school hip hop production. Obviously, it's my era. I'm talking about 808 kicks, you know what I'm saying, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what are some of your favorite beats from that era? Sucker MCs. I mean, How does that song just never not work? Sucker like, as soon as you hear it, boom, gun, 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 gun. As soon as you, you're like, oh, like you're already right, in. Right, Okay. Right. So Sucker fresh. MCs, um, on, the, on the old school yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. era, yeah, yeah. Sucker MCs. By Run DMC inc- for those that. Incredible, yeah. just incredible. I don't remember, yeah. by the way, just to give a little history on that. It's a little sidebar. So, you know, I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, living in Brooklyn. You know, living in the mecca of like, you know, rap when it was yeah, coming yeah, up. Yeah. And I remember like the radio never played rap mm-hmm. when it first came out. Right. 
But like, I already was getting records from my friends. like, oh, this is, it's like that and sucker MCs, mm-hmm. whatever. I'll never forget this. So one day I like my, I was like in, it was like 1983, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And like my alarm clock went off for school, you know, and it was right. New York in the winter. It was like, right. you know, I was like, damn, it was like 6.30 a.m. It's right. like 20 degrees outside, snowing. You have to walk to school in the dark Brooklyn morning, which wasn't even safe, but it's a different story. <laughs> anyway, and um, and when my alarm clock went off, the song that was playing was Sucker MCs. Dude. And I was like, they made the radio. But anyway. That's crazy. Another, uh, another um, which I thought was a good production of a song from that era, mm-hmm. was... Uh, Eric B's Follow the Leader. Woo. Do you, do you remember the acapella version of that where it's just the bass? Have you ever heard that? I never heard it. That's on YouTube. Okay. Go look up Follow the Leader acapella. And it's like, all it is, it's like, boom. You know, it's the yeah. horns yeah. and the drums. So it's like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, boom, yeah. boom. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. It's not like a real acapella. It's yeah. just dope. I think, I think another great production mm-hmm. is uh, NWA's Gangsta Gangsta. And you know what? I always liked, I'm on the radio. Yeah. I love the yeah, production yeah, yeah. for radio. Yeah, yeah. Hey, thank you for being on Bishop Chronicles, bro. Every time, appreciate the knowledge. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do it? Okay, so if you are a healer, you are a chiropractor, you are a, you're an acupuncturist, naturopath, osteopath, and you want to learn from me and learn how to heal or how to help people to heal, um, you might phrase it like that. You can check out my online school of healing, which by the way is money back guarantee. So if you don't like it, it's free. It is at zonetechnique.com. Zonetechnique.com. Come learn what I do. You could be anywhere in the world. It's amazing stuff. Zonetechnique.com. If you want to come see me as a patient, you can go to my website and book your appointment online. My office is in San Francisco. SF as in San Francisco. Goldman is in my last name.com. Hey man, thanks again for being on the show. Listen, Dr. Pete is is an amazing amazing healer. He he, he has an amazing history in 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 Kyoko Shinkarate, and he also has an amazing history in a bunch of different stories in jujitsu. And we didn't even touch on jujitsu. So eventually, guess what? Dr. Pete will be on for part three. All right, and we're going to continue this hip hop conversation. Thank you for tuning in to Far Side TV. This is Side Life Radio. You are listening to the Bishop Chronicles. Have a blessed week. Peace. Teacher, what star is that? Don't think, don't think. You are now listening to the Bishop Chronicles. Bishop Chronicles. You must learn.